feisty, fearless, and fair, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. On the Rita Cosby Show, boy, there have sadly been a whole bunch of school-related shootings in New York City and a number of other cities, by the way, today. Um, some that they believe in New York are gang-related. And there's also this horrible video that's showing a teen with autism dragged off a New York City train, beaten in a really, really troubling attack. It's a 15-year-old autistic boy dragged off. Um, you can hear the, you know, strap hangers, all the other people there on the uh, train are just shocked as some strangers are just hurling horrible, just racial slurs at him. It is really, really disturbing. And protecting our young people, especially from crime, is a huge deal. And this is surprising because a new report just came out. And as we're talking about especially these crimes in New York City, and they're happening in cities all over the country, uh, there's a new report that says the number of New York City school safety agents has dropped nearly 25% from pre-pandemic levels at a time where violence is skyrocketing near school buildings, like even today. So, you know, you can sit and say, oh, gosh, these are horrible crimes and they're horrible things. But unless you beef up extra security and there's a visible security presence at these locations, it is time that we actually protect our kids. So many times we hear of people saying, oh, you know, this is horrible, obviously, when you hear of cases that happen at schools and near schools. But isn't it time that we should have more trained school safety agents and also individuals with training, with firearms that know what they're doing? It's sad. I remember when I was going to school, we didn't have to worry about it. I remember there were kids who had drugs. There were some kids who had weapons, but it was very, very rare. But these days, after a lot of these shootings, some of the big serious ones and after some of the lesser serious ones, because they're all serious, that's why I say lesser serious ones, we are still not doing what I think, and that's hardening our schools. Why are there not conversations about adding extra security officers to our schools? They seem to say, yes, this shouldn't happen, and we need to do something in terms of cracking down on guns and drugs and all those other things. But don't we also need to think about protecting our most valuable treasure, which is basically our kids in America, bringing in extra officers? And indeed, those who are trained, I'm not necessarily for teachers, uh, especially those that don't have training to be able to have firearms and to be able to do all those things. But I do think if somebody has some security background, like former military, uh, you see former NYPD, former LAPD, those people I think would be some of the best people out there to be protecting our schools. What are your thoughts as to why sometimes those on the left seem so focused on saying, okay, well, we have to make sure we take away the guns and do all these other things, but they don't bring in somebody to beef up security. They keep talking about the defund the police movement in the middle of it all, and that is not the way to go. I contend we need to increase the police presence and increase people who are trained. 
who actually have training and know how to use guns, know how to use weapons, know how to do the right thing in particular cases, especially around schools. My goodness, we need more of them, I think, in the subway. We need more of them in stores if we can, I think. Again, well-trained, well-aware, well-alert. There are so many issues here, and yet, for some reason, we are now seeing less, about a quarter, nearly a quarter, from pre-pandemic levels in terms of New York school safety agents. Those are just safety officials who sort of are the experts that can protect our city schools. Why is that happening at a time where, sadly, more and more kids are bringing guns to school? There are more violence in school than ever before. Why are we not doing that? And by the way, this is interesting. Uh, this force apparently in New York City for school safety agents, by the way, um, they're civilians, by the way, who don't even carry weapons, but they're employed by the NYPD. So they're not even allowing school safety agents. And again, these are not weaponized agents. These are just individuals who have some training, at least. There was 6,500 strong in 2019, and now they are at 4,000 on a good day. That is heartbreaking. How could we do that to our kids, not to have even unarmed school safety agents? And I contend, I think we actually need to have much more stringent. I think we need to have some folks who are armed, who are ready. It's sadly a sign of the times. And I always believe, often in the case of a bad guy with a gun, you need a good guy with a gun. And we have heard it time and time again. What are your thoughts, everybody? It's 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Norm on line two. Norm, your thoughts about this? Yes, Rita. Um, I, I, yes, we need, we need um, security officers in our schools. Um, I, I've noticed, like my high school, Canarsie High School, which is not Canarsie High School anymore, they have uh, police cars all the time in front of there. I don't know if they're actually guarding the school, they, in the school. They, they, they're, they're always in front of the school. But, you know, the thing is, what I notice is you, high school kids, they don't go to school anymore. Like, I, I, I see, like, when I go on the bus, because my hours, when I'm on the bus, it's filled with, like, young people. It, it doesn't seem like that they're in school anymore. I used to go to school at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I wouldn't come out 4 o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. It just seems like now, I don't know, they're learning remotely. Uh, they, they, don't have, they don't have the hours that we used to have. I mean, I graduated in 81, and, and it just seemed like we were in school during the day. The only people that wouldn't be in school during, during the day would be, like, bum kids. Yeah, they were playing hooky. Whatever. Right, they were the kids yeah, playing, playing hooky. Right. Exactly. And it seems like they're all playing hooky now. No, that's a great point. And I think part of it, you hit it on the head, Norm, because I think part of it is also the fact that so many kids, um, especially, you know, kids that went through, as all of them did through the pandemic, a lot of schools have sort of gotten used to that. I mean, you see it happening in the workforce, where some people are upset that they have to come back to work five days a week. Um, we were essential workers, us in the media, so we had to work every day, you know. Um, but for most people, they're still sort of that hybrid. And I think kids have gotten used to it, too. And I also think, sadly, um, I think, you know, I feel I feel like it's a really tough job to be a teacher these days. Don't you think, Norm? I mean, I wouldn't want to. I mean, think about being a teacher like for high school kids right now. 
You know, it's like, uh, you know, they just they do not respect authority. It goes to sort of this lack of respect to police officers. And I think it carries over into the schools. And I think that that is it just makes being a, a teacher so much more difficult. And with the violence thrown in, teachers have also been assaulted. I mean, there's recent attacks on teachers. I mean, I, I never would have even thought about it when I went to school and I never saw it when I went to school. Nobody would have ever dared. You know, it was I, one of those teachers that would have taken the ruler and like slapped our hand and it would have been like, you know, you would be afraid to go home what your mother or father would say, you know. Right. All I, all I can think of is that uh, I'm sure in China right now, those young people are going to school from morning until near night and they don't play hooky. Right. And also I think about Japan, too. You know, they're so like, right, you know, Japan. like, right. The Asian cultures, they are very, very like methodical, very, very focused. Um, and, you know, and also speaking of crime, too, I'll, I'll never forget, Norm, I took a subway in Tokyo years ago and I remember like it was spotless. Nobody talked mm-hmm. to each other. I felt like it was a little bit of a zombie. But, you know, I can't even imagine like somebody opening fire or doing something. You know, the whole place would have been like, you know, it would have been unconscionable. Um, mm-hmm. And what a sad contrast, sadly, to what New York and so many other cities are going through. Norm, thank you very much. Let's go to Elena. Line three. Elena, your thoughts about this. Hello, Rita. Hello there, my friend. How you doing? Very well. Thank you. And uh, I, I listen to you every night and I know you're doing well. Thank you. And now that, now I know that you are, too, which makes me happy. Thank <laughs> what, you. What Thank do you think you. we need to do to protect our kids, Elena? Okay. Um, traditionally, schools, uh, uh, school supervisors, school boards, school superintendents, and principals are not proponents of, of discipline and security in school because anything that comes out or leaks out into the community gives them a black mark. So they want to keep it under the hat. And how are we going to get security in the school and discipline and behavior if the administration itself is not a proponent of security? Yeah, and that is the problem. And and yeah. even and these are and by the way, these are even unarmed ones. You know, the big debate was whether they should be armed or not. These are unarmed ones and they don't even want that, you know, mm-hmm. which is like, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you're right. If they are philosophically against it and, and even after some of these horrible cases that have happened, um, there are a lot of these people who have come out and said, oh, my gosh, you know, you think after, you know, you think after all the Uvalde, there were still people after the Uvalde who said we can't harden our schools. And I thought, you know, obviously it's a scary way to live where you have security um, and you don't want to, uh, to have it look like you're in a jail. On the other hand, kids do deserve to be safe and you can't have your kids targeted and you can't have these random things and have a lack of security. There are a lot of breaches, obviously, and problems with Uvalde. And also the police didn't respond the way they did. That was uh, an unusual case. And I'm glad that they got called on the carpet because our cops, I think, are so terrific. But that was an unusual case where they didn't go into the action as fast enough as they should have. Um, but for the most part, we need to have much better security. We need to have, I think, much more visible presence at schools. And how else are you going to like, how else are you going to protect your kids? You're going to have the bad guys out there and people are getting more violent, more crazy, sadly. And I don't know what's in the water that's happening in America where it is. Um, but it's happening and you're going to leave these kids vulnerable without anything to me is that is a, that is a dereliction of duty.
1000%. Elena, thank you very much. Let's go to Rick. Line four. Rick, your thoughts. Hi, Rita. Uh, they love the chaos because it keeps us busy while they do their evil politics. And to think for a minute that they're worried about protecting our kids, all they do is harm the kids with CRT, with the transgenderism, and with the global warming. Jesse Waters just came out the other day said there's a new thing called climate anxiety kids are suffering from. Can you believe this? Yeah, I saw that, by the way, which was the weirdest thing. Part of it, by the way, you know where some of that came from, Rick? Kamala Harris gave some speech somewhere, and she talked about the, the stress that kids have of climate anxiety. And I'm thinking, uh, I don't know a single kid who's, like, worried about what a cactus is feeling. You know? I mean, forgive me. They're not thinking about windmills, uh, especially in a lot of the inner cities. Yeah, but you hit it on the head. Our priorities are so out of whack. Thanks so much, Rick. Let's go to Mike. Line 7. Mike, your thoughts. Hey, Rita. Uh, interesting. You know, I faded out before I woke up just before you show the educational system, especially, you know, in uh, the Middle East and Japan, Korea, whatever. It's a little bit different in China because when I was a kid, you know, I did 12 years Catholic school, uh, a bit of a nonconformist, uh, baseball, college baseball, whatever. You are well, a good Catholic boy, Mike. That's why. I try. And, you know, if, if something happens, I get I don't want the Catholic school guilt, you know, especially, uh, you know, when, when certain things happen. <laughs> when that, you know, when, when a girl comes in the picture, a different girl. No, I'm kidding. But anyway, <laughs> the nuns were crazy. I was telling Ken, you know, if they had that look in their eye and really that metal uh, ruler. And I like to, you know, uh, have a sense of humor in class. But every once in a while, I get my knuckles smacked, damn, or back of the neck. Whoa. You know. Uh, <laughs> I believe it. I and, but 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 you remember that. And and now let me ask you: What do you think yes. has changed? That are is it because people are too PC? They're too worried to do anything. They're too worried to also harden schools. I mean, that's the other thing. I and I brought up the example of Uvalde because there were people after that horrible right. story in Uvalde, which I I know is a former law enforcement officer. You know what you know happened there it was a horrible case. But if there was ever a call for hardening schools, that was it. And there were still people that were saying, oh, no, 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 we can't harden our schools. You know, they'll, they'll complain about the fact that kids need to be protected, which is obviously something we all care about. But then when it comes to, well, let's think of ways to harden the school. Oh, no, 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 we can't have anything that looks like security. That's not good. I mean, I, I mean, at what point do you say, look, you got to be practical. You can't be in la-la land. You're right. After what we went through in our country, psychotic behavior. You know, I have a buddy, Michael, with the grammar school with him, uh, 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 Sandy Hook up in Connecticut. His uh, daughter-in-law was pregnant six months with his first grandchild, and she was a teacher of that school. But thank God she was in the far end of that school. It's going back, what, I don't know, nine years ago. It's just, you know, uh, it, it's crazy. I can't even look at the news when I hear stories about grammar school shootings, psychotic mentally twisted people uh you know we we just have to prepare ourselves and with our our kids especially you know um i was lucky with my two kids they turned out well but there's so many factors involved now you know it didn't even enter my mindset when i was a kid you know yeah absolutely and i didn't think about it either i agree with you uh mike thanks so much we're going to continue with your calls everybody what do we need to do to keep our kids safe And do these people in la-la land basically need a major wake-up call to realize that 
it is time to have some safety agents and maybe those actually with guns. But there is a huge lack of safety staff. And what is going on with these schools who know they got to keep kids safe, but they're not actually walking the walk? Uh, you can't keep kids safe by talking about uh, climate injury, you know, the trauma from climate. That ain't going to protect them. 1-800-848-9222. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Talking about security in schools, President Biden, by the way, just a few hours ago, issued an executive order increasing universal background checks. Um, and also, by the way, not fully universal because that would have to go through Congress, but called for much stiffer of a review of those with purchasing guns. And we're talking about especially those who have some serious mental illness. Now, I don't usually compliment President Biden, but on this part, I think it's an important message to go after somebody who, A, has either a felony, has a court order potentially. Um, maybe they have been considered dangerous. There have been issues in their background. And so he is calling for extra measures in these, quote, red flag laws, essentially, to allow a court order for removal of somebody's firearm if they are indeed considered dangerous. The question is, who reports them? How is that vetted? How is that checked? Clearly, if somebody has a mental issue, a mental derangement, they should clearly not be having a gun or any weapon uh, for that matter. Uh, he is, though, going after also the sellers of guns. And I contend, you know, you can go after the sellers of guns, uh, but on the other hand, He's not going after the criminals. So why would you go after the sellers? And especially if these are bona fide sellers, people who are vetted, people who are checked, people who have a background that are buying from these people. Um, and if it's regulated, if it's kept track of, all of that should be okay. But yet everything he talks about is guns, 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 doesn't seem to want to talk about beefing up police beefing up school safety agents, as we have just talked about, where there is a huge lack of in New York City and really around this country. And also those people who get busted, where is the conversation from this president about bail reform, about the issues of no cash bail and the revolving door of making sure that criminals pay a price? Well, here is the president just a little bit ago talking about strengthening the red flag laws. These are for people who are considered dangerous or mentally deranged, I contend, yeah, they shouldn't have a gun. The executive order also expands public awareness campaigns about the red flag orders, laws, which my son, when he, before he died, attorney general in Delaware, was a great proponent of an institute. So more parents, teachers, police officers, health providers, and counselors know how to flag for the a court that someone is exhibiting violent tendencies threatening classmates or experiencing suicidal thoughts that make them a danger to themselves and others and temporarily remove that person's access to firearms. And I agree. I don't think somebody who 
is mentally deranged should have access to firearms. I've, I've talked about, I thought about the Newtown case. That kid was nuts and his mother took him to the firing range to like calm him down. I don't think that that's the place for a guy who clearly has mental issues. So I agree in looking into that, but going after the gun sellers and going after law abiding citizens, that is not the way to go. We need more people with those skills. Let's go to safe, uh, Stacy in Georgia, line four. Go ahead, Stace. Hi, Rita. Um, my husband and I, Robert, are longtime fans and listeners, so thank you so much. You oh, bring thank a lot you. of information to this world. Um, I, my um, point is kind of trifold. Um, so uh, you're talking about lack of security in schools, but it's also lacking in hospitals and other places. Um, hey, do, do, do me a favor, Stacey, if you could. We're going to go to a break. Stay with us, okay, because we will go to a break. I'll bring you back so you can get to those other points because that is an important point, that in hospitals and elsewhere we need more security. And we need people who know what they're doing to protect all of us. The Rita Cosby Show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Rita Cosby Show presents Back the Blue. And in tonight's Back the Blue, which I love doing every night here on the Rita Cosby Show, a powerful story coming from Whitley County, Kentucky, where a four-year-old local girl met the 911 operator who helped save her life. On December 1st, On 2022, a dispatcher there received an urgent phone call that a four-year-old girl, Lily Bruce, was found unresponsive by her mother and also her grandmother. Uh, They said, I heard my daughter say, Lily, 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 many times, and she was suddenly unresponsive. So they quickly called 911. The family then was directed basically how to do CPR over the phone. And in less than five minutes, Lily was breathing again. Amazing. Now, you always have to be ready, said the 911 dispatcher, because you have something really serious and you have to deal with it because you never know what is going to happen. Lily, the little girl, made a full recovery just two days after the incident and was very thankful for everything that happened. And so here it is. Uh, several months later, she was reunited, uh, this time in person and met the 911 operator who helped bring her back to life. Lily's way of saying thank you was through a lot of hugs, a gift basket and hand drawn gifts that she gave to the 911 operator. And what a beautiful story and a perfect example of the great work that our men and women in law enforcement do every single day. Well, we are talking about how tough it is, I think, to be a police officer these days. There are stories, by the way, where like in New York City, for example, recruitment is way down and things are so tough for law enforcement across this country with still so many people talking about defunding the police in the middle of all this. 
And President Biden so far is not addressing again the sort of revolving door of justice. These criminals who get off easy, but he is definitely going after guns and he's going after gun sellers and he's also going after those who are deemed to be dangerous to society, those who are trying to purchase a gun, which maybe they have a conviction, they shouldn't be getting a gun if they have a felony conviction. Also, if they have some sort of mental or psychotic issues, they're considered dangerous. I think that part of it I agree with. But he also seems to be overreaching and going after gun sellers. And a lot of people are wondering, where is that information going? Why is he? Is he trying to keep a log of who has a gun, who doesn't have a gun in this country? And why is he not going after criminals? Why is he going after, in this case, particularly those who are selling the gun? He also still says that he wants to push for an assault weapons ban. And again, no word on criminals, no word on the revolving door of justice. And of course, today, when he was talking about all of this stuff, he couldn't help but take a swipe at, of course, what is his favorite topic? MAGA Republicans. So take a listen to what he said. Last week, I laid out on my budget that we invest more in safer communities and expand access to mental health services for those affected by gun violence. Congressional Republicans should pass my budget instead of calling for cuts in these services or defunding the police or abolishing the FBI, as we hear from our MAGA Republican friends. Is that that outrageous? Like as if Is there anybody out there who believes that MAGA Republicans are calling for defunding the police? That's what he just said. That is the most preposterous comment I have ever heard, that they want to cut back on police. They want to do this. That is absolutely not at all true. That is unbelievable. And this comes at a time where so many police officers are leaving the department. Uh, an example at an NYPD, uh, they are losing them at such a high rate uh, just because so many are quitting, uh, just because of so many issues. They feel like they're under the microscope. They feel they're unappreciated. They don't feel like they're getting paid for the hassle and the job. And then you got a president who won't admit that it's his party that is calling for defunding the police. And it comes at a time where, as I just talked about, that school safety experts These safety agents, these aren't even armed. They don't carry weapons. They're employed by the NYPD, but they're there supposed to be in schools. They're down at 25% pre-pandemic levels at a time where crime is skyrocketing. Does any of this make any sense to you? It doesn't to me whatsoever. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go back to Stacy from Georgia. Uh, Stacy, you had a trifold. I know you were talking about the, uh, the <laughs> hospital. So go back to it. I'm sorry I had to cut you off. Go ahead. No, it's fine, Muda. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah. So, okay. The security officers and also law enforcement. Um, first of all, they are understaffed. They are underpaid and they are undertrained. They have uh, a deplorable training um, application for security guards. My husband is actually an expert in this. He he worked for years for the third largest security company um, in the United mm-hmm. States, um, just uh, creating the um, online training development from the ground up, whatever they wanted from whatever department um, from the country he developed. 
Um, also, we teach MMA, women's self-defense, child self-defense, things like that as well. I've been doing that since I was 14 years old. I'm now bravo, bravo. But let me ask you, Stacey, <laughs> why is that? Why why are they under-trained, and, and why is that happening? Uh, unfortunately, it's a bureaucracy matter. Uh, they Honestly, they don't want to let go of um, these uh, training uh, the, the application that they've been holding on to, it might per- perhaps apply to a perhaps like say North Side in Atlanta, but um, like my husband tried to develop this regimen that was appropriate for their facility, and all the stories that he has told me are absolutely horrifying. Um, so many of these patients that come in, I mean, they may not necessarily be mentally deranged all the time or have mental, you know, deficiencies. You know, a lot of them are coming on on PCT and all, all you know, meth and all kinds of this, this mix of drugs and they'll be fine one moment and they'll be very violent the next. And a lot of these officers just have absolutely no idea how to handle them. And they are not paid well enough to kind of face that type of situation. Uh, Because of the training they receive, they don't get high enough pay, and therefore they don't keep the officers employed. They go elsewhere seeking better opportunities. And and by the way, that's what happens, Stacey, too. Also, like a lot of the NYPD and places like that are leaving. I mean, if you suddenly hear like you hear like, you know, was it Ron DeSantis who was offering like a thousand bucks or whatever it was, five thousand, I think at one point, come on down to Florida, sunny, not as many problems. You're like, oh, you know, I think I'll go there. And then you hear somebody who's like, "Uh, well, we're going to keep an eye on uh, where you have a coffee break or a drink break or you do whatever it is, you know. I mean, it's like, right, and how sad is that because they are on the front lines for all of us. Stacy, you're terrific. you got to call back again. We love you. Take good care of the peach tree state, too, please, okay? Well, keep talking, Rita. We love you. Thank you. We love you. Thank you very much. Let's go to Don in Long Beach on Line 7. Don, your thoughts. Hi, Rita. Uh, I just want to mention three things briefly. Um, to en- They have to enhance the technology, and I'm sure there are companies more than willing to develop all the resources to do that, whether it be metal, detect- metal detectors, cameras, things of that nature. Unfortunately, these are the times we live in, and we have to do that. Uh, the other two things, one of them being um, bullying, there should be very, very strong penalties uh, for kids that, that bully other other kids because that drives, uh, in, in certain instances, it's driven kids to come into the school with a weapon. They want to take it out on, on you know, on, on people that bullied them. Uh, the third thing is there's been instances in Newtown, as, a, as an example, you had mentioned that, where parents uh, don't protect their weapons. The, uh, the kids who have problems uh, uh, obtain those weapons, and then they go into the school and, and, and do their damage. So, uh, gun owners need to need to protect their their weapons. So, you know, uh, unstable kids do not, you know, obtain them. Absolutely. There are so many layers. And just like you, the bullying, Don, is a really great point. Um, I was talking also about this horrible case of this. This is a 15-year-old boy with autism who was dragged off a New York train and pummeled mm. on a platform uh, by a group of heartless strangers who basically were hurling yeah, racial okay. slurs. But it's like uh. this this bullying, and this was random. But this happens in schools. It happens. It is just, it, it to me is 
heartbreaking and it's shameful. And I agree with you, the bullying. And when you see somebody who's doing the bullying, it's just like you have to throw the book at them so they do not continue again. There's nothing uh, there's nothing heroic about being a bully and you need to teach them a lesson, um, you know, from penalizing them in school. They have to learn better at home. Uh, but there's so many issues there. But you you hit it right on the money. Uh, Don, thank you very much. Let's go to Larry. Line six. Larry, your thoughts. Yeah, hi, Rita. I, have, I just want to take issue with you uh, when you said that you agree with Biden in terms of his red flag laws. I'm not sure you know where this guy's coming from. Well, well and, and by this- the way, I, by the way, Larry, I don't fully agree, but I, I do agree with one sliver. There's a lot of things I don't agree with that he's doing, even in this issue today. I don't agree with him, um, uh, you know, going after, you know, gun owners. And also the, the question is, in particular, uh, what are the red flags? If indeed it's people who are mentally disturbed, who deems them mentally disturbed? I do think we need to keep, obviously, guns out of crazy people. That's where I'm going. Okay, listen, this guy, I'll tell you where this guy's coming from. He's coming from sheer fascist authoritarianism. You know, it's known from in psychiatry that dangerousness is not predictable. You can say somebody is currently a danger to himself and others, but that only applies to the present. A person could have be afflicted with mental illness, even schizophrenia. That doesn't mean he's dangerous. That was litigated in the 80s already, okay? It's an established fact. He's trying to be authoritarian and find excuses to take guns out of people's hands. Now, are you aware of the fact that in New York, uh, in New York City, you're not allowed to have pepper spray if you have a misdemeanor assault uh, conviction on your record ever, ever, that means you can't defend yourself. You don't have the right to defend yourself equally as other people because you may have punched somebody 20 years ago. This is unconstitutional. This should be wiped off the books. This is similar to what Biden is trying to do. Yeah, and that and that's why I, I caution, I agree with you, Larry, that he is overreaching in many ways. I do think some people who have clear psychological issues shouldn't have access to guns or somebody at least should be clearly vetted. Um, so they are legal gun owners and understand uh, and, and respect guns and understand uh, locking it away, not, you know, not keeping it around for kids to get access to. All of those things I think are important, but I hear what you're saying that, that your example is a really powerful one and you're right. Uh, somebody who got into a fight in a bar a couple of years ago or something like that should have access right. to pepper spray. That's a great point, Larry. I'm really glad you called. That's a great, great point. Uh, let's go to Al in Yonkers, line five. Al, your thoughts about all this. Yeah, hi, Rita. As you know, uh, thanks for taking my call. As you know, the NYPD is a power, a paramilitary organization. Uh, the school safety comes under them. And like you said, uh, what do you mean by a paramilitary organization? Well, basically, they, you know, you you have the academy and then you basically have to follow the rules of, uh, you know, of like it's like it's like being in the military. Okay, all right. I thought you meant it in a negative way. I thought like like when I think of paramilitary, I think of like, you know, like a like a that sounds like a word like. The left might use to say that they're over the top, but go ahead. Oh, no. Yeah, you know, I understand what you – no, but I didn't mean it that way. But the school safety comes under the NYPD. And like you pointed out, uh, it's been underfunded. And the problem is that even in, as you know, the more impoverished school district, uh, the rougher it is usually with the kids because the kids uh, tend to be violent. 
Uh, but you'd be surprised, even in wealthy, affluent school districts in Westchester, like here in the river towns, uh, where they have lots of money to provide security, you know, they're stingy. They don't even have adequate security because they don't want to spend the money. You know, I'll tell you, some years ago, uh, I worked as a security aide in a northern Westchester school district. I was hired off a merit, exam- merit list. You know, I was hired off a civil service list for a leave of absence, uh, an occupation where a person was out. And I could tell you, uh, being a school uh, security aide in some of these schools is rough. I, by the way, I have no doubt uh, it, it's a really tough job. Now, when you say safety, was it safety related, or what was the what were what was your area? Yeah, I worked for a school district uh, school district in Northern Westchester, again where I was hired from a civil service list. It wasn't. Uh, but was a, it like? Well, but it was focused on safety. I'm just trying to understand. Yeah. Like, okay, all right. So no, yeah, but you had to by work the in way. High school. I'm sure it was rough, right? I mean, and, and yeah. like, and like the kids these days, it's tough out there. Oh, I mean, it is tough. Yeah. You know, I mean, Al, I think about even in stores, like when people are breaking in stores and you see these people shoplifting and the security guards are like, don't really know what to do. I mean, it's overwhelming. And, and, and I'm sure you guys even took abuse too, even from the students. Um, but it is so important, um, to have people like you there and to not even have unarmed. Were you armed or not armed when you were there? When I was working, like, say, for instance, I was working uh, the lunch breaks when the, uh, the teenagers from the uh, high school came into a lunch break, I envisioned to myself, I said, boy, this is like being a correction officer. <laughs> right. but it, there's always the uh, potential for violence, as, you know, it can happen. It, it is. And that's why, uh, sadly, we need more people like what you were doing yes. right there, Al. Bravo for you, because that is such an important job. And to think about us at such a huge deficit now, like I brought up the example of New York City, uh, 25% down from pre-pandemic levels while yes. crime is higher. Uh, that's not a good thing. And that is, I'm sure, happening in so many places across this country. We're going to continue your calls, everybody. What do you make of Democrats so focused on guns, guns, guns? What about criminals, criminals, criminals? And what about also extra security, extra school staff like we were just talking about with Al uh, in Yonkers there saying we need more not less in our schools to keep kids safe. 1-800-848-9222. The Rita Cosby Show. And coming up in the next hour... I am stunned again uh, that this guy, a self-proclaimed basically terrorist, Saifulo Saipov, this is the guy who killed eight people, wounding many others in an ISIS-inspired rampage in New York. And he was shouting Allah Akbar. He had the ISIS flag in his hospital room. It goes to the jury after he basically admitted to doing everything. And guess what happens? They deliberate. And they come back and say, no, he's not going to, he doesn't deserve the ultimate punishment. He could have gotten death. They give him life in prison. The jury couldn't come back to a unanimous decision. I mean, if there isn't a case that demands the ultimate punishment, I don't really know what is. There wasn't any gray as to whether he did it or not. He was proud of it. Apparently, there was a very sort of proud confession that he gave. 
And yet at the end of the day, who were these jurors that suddenly said, oh, what, he was a nice young man? Is that what they were saying in the jury room? So this is a classic case of why we need to have stiff punishment and also reasonable people on the jury pool. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. We are talking about beefing up security in schools and elsewhere while at the same time, Joe Biden is cracking down on guns and also legal gun owners and legal gun sellers saying that they need to be vetted. Why is he keeping track of gun sellers? And why is he also not focused on criminal justice reform and this revolving door of justice, these repeat offenders? Why is he missing the mark if he really wants to keep America safe? Uh, which makes me wonder, again, is this all about politics with him? 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Alex in California. Alex, your thoughts? I think you're taking my call. First, I just want to make a very brief comment and get to the main comment uh, second. So the brief comment is that whenever we talk about human behavior, we should uh, disaggregate the behavioral data by ethnicity and race because a different demographic groups have starkly different behaviors. So East Asian American children have never deteriorated in their behavior over the last uh, several decades. They are still committed to education as they always have. And the main comment that I want to say is that the solution to this problem involving violence in schools, the solution involving a problem with CRT and all these problems in, in the public schools can be solved in only one way, and that is school choice. Let the parents put their kids in a school that meets their safety standards, that meets their notion of cultural appropriateness. That is the only way for us to give people who identify with Western culture an opportunity to raise their kids in the kind of environment that they want. And this is especially important going forward because the United States will no longer be a Western country in two more decades. Well, you know what? You know what? Your point, by the way, about vetting kids and you're right protecting our kids which is i think our greatest resource and and our treasure um i think there also should be maybe like a maybe there should be a grading system of like okay um you know this school does this this and this and this and this they have all this and parents actually sadly in this day and age need to ask okay well do you have armed guards what do you have do you have what kind of lock system do you have um, after especially what happened as I brought up Uvalde, there were so many mistakes. Remember, the door was open. The teacher went out. What are your procedures? What are your training? What are all those things? There should be something out there that parents can know when they send a kid to school. What do they do if, God forbid, the worst were to happen in that school? And and parents need to just get educated and vocal if they don't have it. But you're right. School choice uh, is an important issue. Um, Alex, thank you. Let's go to Marianne. Uh, line four. Marianne, your thoughts. Hello, this is Oops, Mike. I lost you, but I'll go to Mike. Uh, Mike, I always love having you. I was going to go to you next, so go ahead, Mike. How are you, Rita? Yeah, I think, first of all, they should put the Bible back into the schools. It gives them a good foundation, and they read the Proverbs and tell them how to live their life every day. Uh, also, you know, they had all kinds of vocational schools in New York City, which they closed. They closed all the boys' clubs. They, were, they closed the boys' club on 10th Street. It's been there for over... 130 years on Avenue Way and 10th Street. Uh, I mean, they're selling everything that these kids could use. They closed their vocational schools. 
give these kids something to keep busy. And and instead, they put them on Ritalin and Prozac 30, 40 years ago. This is a product of the government, okay? And why does your Redland uh, Antifa and the Black Lives Matter? Why doesn't he talk about redlining knives? More people are killed with knives than any, any other weapon. Well, and Mike, or, and Mike, or, and Mike, you bring up a good point because sadly there have been so many of these cases. Like even in New York, for example, uh, people pushed on the subway, uh, you know, uh, beaten on the subway. Uh, those aren't guns. That's why I think so much of what he is doing is all political. We're going to continue with your calls, everybody. And the fact that this terrorist doesn't get the death penalty, who decided that? This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, it was one of the most horrible cases. And who could forget this case of this killer, Saifulo Saipov, who mowed down and killed eight people, wounding several others in an ISIS-inspired rampage. Remember, it was on the bike path. And so many people were talking about this case Um It left, again, eight people dead. It was in the afternoon of October 31st, 2017. And despite this guy who basically went on an ISIS-inspired rampage, saying basically Allah Akbar and, you know, shouting all these ISIS slogans, if you will, despite all of that, and apparently after he was you know, taken into custody by cops. Then he basically gave what is described as a proud confession. Apparently he was gleeful. He was smiling, uh, describing what he did and why he did it. And then when he was taken to the hospital room, he wanted to hang an ISIS flag because he was so proud to be someone who was, quote, a follower of ISIS. And despite all of this, He still gets a fair trial because it's America, which is our great justice system. I contend the best in the world. And when it came time to the phase in the trial where it was the sentencing phase and the penalty phase, suddenly they pulled family members of Saipov to testify in court. And he was facing the death penalty because when you commit an act of terrorism, it goes to the level of terrorism federal charges, essentially. So it's a jury in New York that was listening to this case. And during the penalty phase, guess what? Family members came and the father of this guy said, you know, I still love him with all of my heart. And his uncle at one point burst out also in the courtroom was a big dramatic thing saying dirty ISIS bastards. Uh, There were some very, very dramatic moments that testified you know, in the trial. So they were trying to sort of tug, if you will, at the heartstrings of the jury. But yet, if you look at the facts, and they also pulled all these different people uh, to testify on the flip side who were injured by this guy and family members who lost loved ones because of this guy. 
this guy who was completely unrepentant, so it seemed, um, certainly uh, a terrorist and certainly somebody who wanted to commit terror, and he killed eight people. And so it goes back to the jury, and after 10 hours, the jury says we cannot come back with a unanimous decision, which is what is needed for the death penalty. And so I ask you, what is needed to give somebody the death penalty? When you have somebody who is clearly unrepentant, who is someone who clearly uh, is a terrorist, an ISIS sympathizer, seems to have no regret after killing eight people and injuring so many other people, destroying lives forever and their family members forever, and then somehow you can't come to a unanimous decision on something like this? It reminded me of so many other these cases around the time. You think about uh, the Boston Marathon bomber. There was the guy in Florida, too. Remember where they felt bad for the guy, you know? And this obviously, maybe it worked with the father and some of these others saying that I still love my son. He's a good boy. Uh, but yet he wanted to hire, you know, hang an ISIS flag. So I say to you, this is why the death penalty is in place. For a terrorist who is unrepentant, who killed eight people, destroyed so many lives, and yet even in this case they couldn't come to a unanimous decision, what does it take to come to the death sentence for somebody? If this isn't a death penalty case, what is? And is it because the jury was in New York? I wonder if this happened in other places, although I mentioned the case in Florida uh, that guy, remember one of the big mass shootings there in Florida, that guy got life and he could have faced death penalty too as well. And he didn't. So what is going on? Are there people on the jury that say, oh, he deserves another chance? Or do they think that maybe him spending the rest of his life behind bars and thinking about what he did? Is that a worse punishment? Where are these jurors coming from? I contend if these aren't death penalty cases, what are? What are your thoughts, everybody? 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. And here is, by the way, this is ABC News senior investigative reporter Aaron Katersky basically describing what life is going to be like behind bars for this guy, uh, Saifulo Saipov. He will be in a maximum security prison, uh, but I contend that's still too nice for what he did. He will have to be formally sentenced at some future date and, and sent off to ADX, where he will spend at minimum 22 hours a day alone in his cell. He will have three monitored showers. He will only be allowed two phone calls a month for about 15 minutes each. His life will become uh, even more regimented uh, than it is now, as he has been on trial. Yeah, his life a little more regimented. I'm sorry. I don't really care if his life is regimented. Many of these people don't even have a life thanks to this guy. So I, I really don't have any sympathy. To me, I'm so shocked that this guy did not get the death penalty. Again, bragging about what he did, unrepentant afterwards, you know, and then his father getting up and saying, oh, but he's a nice boy and I still love him, even if my son is a terrorist and loves ISIS, but I love him. I mean, give me a break. This, to me, is astounding. And then what? What's going to happen, is, sadly, in prisons? You know, they'll probably be, you know, he'll uh, probably be along other with other terrorists in prisons. Is that too nice of a punishment 
for what this guy did? I contend yes. Um, and here's a little bit more of the reporter, Aaron Katersky, breaking down exactly uh, why there was no death penalty. Take a listen. Well, the jury agreed, Kira, that the, uh, the, the Cephalosipov killed eight people on the Hudson River bicycle path on Halloween 2017 intentionally and did so in the name of the Islamic State and to further the goals of ISIS. But they did not think that he represented a future danger while in prison. They were unable to reach a unanimous decision either way, for, for death or for life. And so automatically, Cephalosipov will spend the rest of his life in prison at ADX in Florence, Colorado, the nation's most secure, maximum security prison. Uh, that sentence still needs to be formally imposed at a future date. The judge did not set that date, but the possibility of the death penalty for Saifalo Saipov is now off the table. And what would you have done if you were on the jury? I contend, again, if there was ever a death penalty case, guess what? Uh, just because you don't think somebody is necessarily a threat if they're behind bars, that's not the reason why you say, okay, well, we're going to let them off easy. How does that teach a lesson? And this, to me, sort of encapsulates, obviously, on a much more serious scale. But we think about some of these repeat offenders on other crimes in New York who get off easy, easy, easy. And then here is this case where, obviously, it is a serious charge. And you want the jury to seriously consider if you're going to put somebody to death, you should seriously look at it. There will obviously be a slew of appeals, even if that sentence happened almost always, you know, it goes on for years upon years. But if there's ever a case for the death penalty, it's this guy. And yet a jury couldn't figure it out. They couldn't even decide on life or not. I mean, what were you going to like? Uh, what is it? Alvin Bragg was on the jury. I'm trying to figure this one out. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to BJ. Uh, line four, BJ, this to me is disgusting. Go ahead. Yeah, I agree with you, and thank you for mentioning it. I don't know of anyone else who mentioned it, so God bless you, Rita. There were eight people, beautiful people, whose lives were snuffed out. Four of them were on a 30-year high school reunion trip from Argentina. One was a mother of a three-year-old and a three-month-old. Another was a, a computer programmer uh, from Jersey, compu- uh, and, and he was, by all indications, a beautiful person. And I'm leaving out several others. I'm sorry. But I was down there when that happened, uh, as a lot of other people would were. Uh, now, what, told- what were you down there for, BJ? What, how did well, that happen? I, I, was in the, I was in the neighborhood, and my coworker just got a call saying her, her, her daughter's school was in lockdown. Because that's when this this creep uh, uh, started his attack. By the way, he was headed to the Brooklyn Bridge after he was going to finish there. So the notion that this guy was is is unable to commit further future violence is is silly. But I hate to say it, but I'm going to. This is what happens when you elect weak people in uh, in uh, in weak administrations that don't understand the threat. Of terrorism, this is a victory for radical Islamists around the world. The fact that this guy got life in prison—they're celebrating him. Believe oh yeah! Uh, by the way, I agree with you. And you know, the sad thing is, too, BJ. You know 
that there will be some like loony kazoonies who are writing this guy in prison yes. and, and like he becomes, like you said, he becomes almost a, a, a living martyr, if you will, you know, for them that, you know, they're going to be idolizing him. And who's to say he's not going to be inspiring other people? And, and this guy, if you are loony enough to do what he was doing, I contend it's not like, uh, first of all, he will never see the light of day if he is there unless some crazy thing happens on appeal. And I don't rule it out with our crazy justice system that that doesn't happen. Um, but, um, but, you know, the good news is he is locked up, but still, you're right. And also, sadly, a lot of these prisons are breeding grounds for Islamic extremists because they get to communicate with each other, even if they're supposed to not be doing that. I know people for a fact at that same prison. Uh, because I, I have interviewed and talked to people uh, who've been at that prison who have talked about how they communicate, you know, sometimes putting little notes through the uh, pipes, sending you to each other. You're telling me that this loony kazuni is not going to be talking to other loony kazunis? It's, he, it, this is a, a, a very bad, bad sign uh, and a sign of weakness. And I hate to say it, but I'm going to. It would not have happened if Donald Trump was president. We had weak prosecutors, a very foolish jury. Uh, God bless the people that voted f- for uh, the death penalty for this. But uh, the fact that people couldn't get it, put it together, this guy killed eight people. He was headed to the Brooklyn. It's not a hard thing to figure out. Yeah, I, I'm and, trying to figure out what took the 10 hours. You know what I mean? I mean, aren't you? It's like, like, what were they talking about for 10 hours? He, you know, they have that he confessed. He wanted to hang the ISIS flag. He was smiling and laughing. Um, it's on videotape. You know, my thought is, BJ, like, where's the gray? God bless these people, uh, uh, their families. Uh, you know, I, I, we, we owed them better, and we owed ourselves better. We need to pre- we need to be have a very hard line against lunatics that'll do this again, uh, uh, because they will. And uh, we can't be soft on this. We can't be uh, 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 conflicted. We have to speak with one voice. If we don't speak with anything, because. Uh, this is just sending a signal to the world that you can do this, and the worst thing that will happen to you is you get a paid vacation for the rest of your life. Right, at taxpayer's um, expense. And by the way, yeah. you know, you, you also hit a good point that they're watching this around the world, um, and they're seeing this. Oh, they're like, American justice. You know what I mean? Can you believe uh, good old uh, Saipov got, uh, got life, you know? Uh, it worked. You know what I mean? I mean, that that to me is it's a disgrace. It it really is. It is a disgrace of our justice system. And uh, boy, uh, these people who are on the jury need a lobotomy. I mean, that that to me is just like, what are they thinking of? You know, I mean, honestly, like, who who are these people that were debating whether or not he should even get life in prison? I mean, there were some people in there, apparently, who weren't even sure if that was uh, the correct uh, decision. What do they expect him? What to spend thirty days, you know, a- and get back out? That's why I say, was it Alvin Bragg on the jury? My goodness. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. I agree with BJ. The people that were sadly the victims of this killer, this terrorist, deserve better. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And 
coming up on the show, we are going to talk about two big GOP investigations. One, of course, into the origins of COVID, even though Anthony Fauci keeps saying, oh, China's fine. No problems there. I don't know what you're talking about with the Wuhan lab. And also Hunter Biden. Now, some big news on that front. Uh, the Treasury Department has agreed to give the House Oversight Committee, of course, led by Republican members, suspicious activity reports pertaining to Hunter Biden and other family members. And James Comer, who is the head guy on that committee, has said in interviews in the last few hours that essentially it's opened the door to maybe other family members. And he's looking into Hunter Biden and big money stuff. And this could open the floodgates in both of these cases. So I want to hear your thoughts on where you think that is headed. Meantime, we are talking about this horrible case of this New York City terrorist, Saifulo Saipov, who could have gotten the death penalty. He was talking about how much he loved ISIS over and over again, apparently was smiling when he made a, quote, proud confession, wanted to hang the ISIS flag in a hospital room where he was being treated after the attack, and it goes to the jury after they find him guilty on 28 counts, nine of which carried a possible death penalty. And after hours of deliberations, they couldn't come to a unanimous decision. I contend if this isn't a death penalty case, what is? I mean, this is such an abominable case, and yet that jury was deadlocked. And so he will get life behind bars, which I think is too good for somebody like this. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Jacqueline, line three. Jacqueline, your thoughts. Hi, Rita. You know, I used to feel the death penalty should be applied in a situation like this. Now I feel a little differently for several reasons, and I'll tell you why. To the best of my knowledge, New York State, since we've had the death penalty, has never executed anyone. And whether this individual was to get the death penalty or not, this quote-unquote good boy, who's actually a cold-blooded, cold-hearted killer and an Islamic extremist terrorist, would be viewed by other Islamic extremist terrorists as a martyr, either a living martyr or a dead martyr. So no matter how you look at it, they would still view him as a martyr. But... From what I understand, he'll be in solitary confinement 23 hours a day. And oftentimes, those individuals lose their minds in solitary confinement, as I hope this monster does. And I hope he's tormented for the rest of his life. And finally, I would choose the the, uh, method, whether it would be the death penalty or life in prison, whichever would cost the taxpayers the least amount of money. We shouldn't spend any more than is necessary on a monster like this. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Because, you know, actually, uh, and, and technically, and obviously it's a lot of money regardless through the prison system, but often when it's a death penalty case, they get all these appeals, and it ultimately does cost often the taxpayer more because of all the appeals process and all the steps and all the other things. Um, but you're right, I still, you know, who knows, 23 hours a day, uh, solitary confinement is not a pretty place to be. Uh, but he is alive and well at taxpayers' expense, and my heart just breaks for these family members who lost loved ones to this monster. And again, you think of what was the jury thinking? You know, I mean, it would be so interesting. Did did they feel like he was a nice boy because he was somebody's son? 
You know, I, I mean, what, what was it that swayed them? That I would be really curious to see. Let's go to Robert in Philly. Robert, your thoughts about this? Hi, Rita. It's nice to talk to you. Two quick things. First, you ask, what does it take for someone to get the death penalty in, in New York? And I would say, put a MAGA hat on them. So my second thing is, if this guy's got to spend the rest of his life in jail, I hope that he gets lowly, menial jobs, which would really hurt him, and that he has to answer to female guards for the rest of his life. Yeah, you, I that's, know you that's, know that that would drive him crazy. It would. Have ab- a great night. Yeah, by the way, Robert, great points. You're right. It should be female guards uh, because clearly uh, that doesn't go along with his thinking because ISIS isn't too friendly to women. Um, and you're right. Um, it would ha- He should be like uh, cleaning toilets with toothbrushes. I actually think that's too nice for him given what he did to these people. This is amazing. It is astounding to me. Robert, thank you very, very much. When we come back, everybody, I want to hear your thoughts on where you think the Hunter Biden investigation and also looking into the origins of the coronavirus. Do all roads lead to China on both? And Hunter Biden, well, they may now soon be able to look at the financial numbers. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. The Rita Cosby Show presents Support Our Heroes. And in tonight's Support Our Heroes, I had the honor just a few hours ago to be attending an amazing event at the Consul General of France in New York, uh, where it was basically a reception in honor of the 80th anniversary of the Normandy landing in Normandy, France. Now, of course, that takes place next year. And I went over there, by the way, to Normandy on the 75th anniversary. It was so powerful to go there and to walk the beaches and to see Omaha and Utah Beach and see what our heroes endured on that fateful day, June 6, 1944. Um, I encourage everybody to go over there and see it at one point in their life just to experience it and to see just the how much beach there was uh, when they landed on the boats and they get to the beach and how far it was that they had to go across. Uh, meantime, German sh- machine guns firing at them left and right and landmines and everything else. It was just so powerful to go there. And tonight I was in the company of two incredible heroes. Um, one of them was uh, Private First Class Norris Morwant. And Norris is 100 years old, this guy, sharp as a tack. And he was speaking English and French tonight at this event. I mean, it was just amazing to see him. His story, by the way, is upon arriving in France, he was assigned to the 89th Complement Squadron, 8th Army Air Corps, after landing at Normandy. He was assigned special uh, missions, uh, bringing messages essentially to the units on the front, while his French speaking skills, as I mentioned, helped him in the effort with translation duties. And he was invaluable, as you can imagine, at that time. He's from Louisiana. So he knew French, and that came in, obviously, very, very handy in World War II. Another one was Bob Gibson. And Bob Gibson, on June 6, 1944, he and his unit, attached to the 1st Army, made their way to Utah Beach in the second wave. 
he saw dead American soldiers floating face down in the water, and he tried his hardest to avoid driving over the bodies on the beach. Can you imagine what he saw? They landed after the assault troops, but they still faced so much danger. And two of the men in his unit were killed by artillery in their Jeep. Amazing that these two guys, both sharp as attack, were there tonight sharing their stories and the importance of why generations to come must never forget the heroism of those people at Normandy. And if you've met anybody who has been in uh, in Normandy who fought in that battle Make sure you shake their hand, you hear their stories, and make sure you pass it on to your children and grandchildren because these guys are extraordinary heroes living among us. And bravo to the French consulate for honoring them and their heroism and shining a spotlight on them tonight. I was honored to be a part of it. I'm going to put some pictures up tomorrow on my social media, at Rita Cosby. Uh, I got to take a great picture with these two guys, too. And you'll see they look like they're like in their 40s, big old smiles and uh, just big beaming and just so proud to be Americans. And we are so proud to have heroes like that among us. Well, we are talking about the investigations now that are taking place in a big way by GOP-led committees. They are looking into Hunter Biden. They're also looking into ties to the Wuhan lab. And both of them have a lot in common because both look like all roads lead to China. Hunter Biden got some money from the Chinese so there's a lot of questions with that. And also, Dr. Fauci, remember, was doing some of that research through EcoHealth, all of that stuff. And yet he's been parsing words saying, oh, it's not gain of function. And he still, for some reason, still seems to be soft on China, just like Biden is. It's like this whole administration just seems to be so soft on China. What does China have Is there something that they have on the Biden family? I mean, what is it that they just seem to go easy on them? And we know just recently the FBI came out and said that, yeah, it looks like it's a lab leak, um, you know, that there was something tied to the lab and that it stemmed from the lab. And then it went out to the rest of the world coming from the Wuhan lab. Also, we know the Energy Department said the same thing. We even had I, John Katsimatidis and I, we do that great show at 5 o'clock. Katz and Cosby, we had former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on. And the Secretary was saying he is 100% sure that intelligence that he has seen firsthand came from the lab. And, in fact, I want to play that again. This is cut 19A. This is just to show you what Pompeo said. There was no gray with him. And this is the guy who was a former Secretary of State. Take a listen to what he said. Rita, I don't know that we'll ever see any more evidence, but we don't need to. <laughs> this virus came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. It was accidentally released from there. Uh, I, I, I know that to be true. Uh, I hope they'll release all the data that they have, all the evidence. I think everybody will see that 100% of the evidence points to exactly that. 100%. He saw the intel. He is the former Secretary of State. There is no gray. And so Dr. Fauci, for some reason, listened to his, like, word salad when he was asked about the lab leaks and ties to the Wuhan lab. He was asked about this on CNN. Listen to this excuse. And on this theory of a lab leak, uh, I, I, you know, I've been wondering this. Do we have any idea how that would even work? Um, have you heard any accounts as to how that might have happened? Is there yeah. speculation well, there, in, in the yeah, scientific but, community as to how that happened? Yeah, the, 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 there's a good, that, that's a very good question, Jim. 
So one of the things that people maybe don't fully appreciate, that all of the intelligence agencies agree unanimously that this was not engineered. Namely, they didn't deliberately do this to make a bioweapon. Everybody agrees with that, no matter what your prior thoughts were, everybody agrees with that. A lab leak could be that someone was out in the wild, maybe looking for different types of viruses in bats, got infected, went into a lab, and was being studied in the lab, and then it came out of the lab. But if that's the definition of a lab leak, Jim, then that still is a natural occurrence. The other possibility is someone takes a virus from the environment that doesn't actually spread very well in humans and manipulates it a bit, and accidentally it escapes or accidentally infects someone, and then you get an outbreak. Those are the possibilities when you're talking about lab leaks. Why can't he just say, maybe there were more serious issues. Maybe there was gain of function being done there. It's like somebody went to a bat, and what was on a tour happened to be a tour at the Wuhan lab, and that's how it happened. For some reason, he never wants it connected to research they're doing at the lab. I mean, it's like, what does it take for this guy? Why is he such an apologist for the Wuhan lab? Here's a little bit more of Fauci. Listen to this one. Are there any accounts of that occurring where one might say, okay, well, there there we go. Perhaps this is it. This is what happened. No. That you're aware of. In fact, there are no lab leaks that have led to pandemics. So there have been accidents in the lab that happens intermittently. We've had experiences with that in modern times recently. But there have never been a situation where a virus escaped from a lab that's a brand new virus that no one has ever seen before that led to a pandemic. That has not happened. So what do you make of him basically saying, no, this this, this just, you know, it, it hasn't happened. Um, and he's not even going to the research. He's still not admitting that there was any research that could have created this. And anything that the U.S. did that could have gone back to the exact gain-of-function research that they're doing. He always kind of parses the words. And what does it take when you have the FBI director saying, this is what I think? I mean, this is not, you know, this is not just somebody off the street. But this guy still seems to be a China apologist. What do you make of Dr. Fauci basically claiming somebody was hanging out in a bat, uh, what, uh, you know, what, flying bats at home or something along with fish? And taking their dog for a walk and taking a bat for a walk and then somehow went to visit what the Wuhan lab in a tour. And then somehow it got like convoluted to create this virus that killed millions of people around the world. Is there anybody out there that buys that one? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Eddie real quick. Uh, Line five. Ed, your thoughts. Rita, I don't buy anything. <laughs> I, yeah, I think it was someone that went to the Batcave with Batman and Robin and got the virus. Right, right. Uh, By the way, I was waiting for that, Ed, because that's where I thought he was headed. It was like I, I wouldn't have doubted he was going to go there. You know. Well, well, Fauci was there also. So you told me to keep you updated on my friend that works for the CDC that I worked for. He worked with me at Stony Brook University Hospital in Brookhaven National Lab, which is you know where Einstein worked, and I know labs. I've worked in labs. You know, sometimes people mess up. But he will call him Dr. Lee. I don't want to give his real name. He said that he knew from people that he knew in the lab, but Fauci visited the lab. 
Fauci helped fund the lab. Fauci knew about everything. And, you know, maybe someone made a mistake. They got infected. But now, you know, China used this. You heard about rats and uh, raccoons and cat raccoons that might have been in that marketplace, which, you know, we, you know, it's, it's, it's dangerous. You know, sometimes we eat sushi. If it's not prepared right, but to go there, forget about it. It and you know, Fauci. I, I hope, I really hope, that they prosecute him, they prosecute Hunter and Joe Biden's um, brother also. And I have to ask you about the eulogy. I met Jimmy Carter once, and I humbly said, I, I voted for you back then. And he said, thank you very much. It was at a book signing. Then I looked at Jimmy, and I said, you should run again. And he looked at me with that accent reader into my eyes, and he said, now you're going too far. But do you think that Joe Biden is going to do the eulogy off a teleprompter or from his um Ah, that's a, that's a, yeah, that, because he claims that, I guess, Jimmy Carter asked him to do the eulogy. I saw that report, Ed. Um, you're right. Well, I mean, be, you know what? Where, how's he going to keep it? You're right. He probably has to be on a, on a, uh, teleprompter. I don't think he can do it without a teleprompter. Do you, Ed? No, I, I think that might be the only truthful thing that Joe Biden has ever said of Jimmy Carter ever, ever asked him. Right. No, that's true. And we still haven't heard, by the way, from Jimmy Carter, if that indeed, you know, we haven't heard on the other end of it all. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, we've only heard, uh, you know, we only heard the Biden end of it claim, right? It might be like a corn pop story for all we know, right? And thank you very much. You are always, always terrific. Let's go to Robert in Suffolk, line three. Go ahead, Robert. Hi, Rita. Oh. Did this, did the jury hear the reports of him while he was being tried? He wanted to kill corrections officers and other inmates while he was inside. You're, wait, you're talking. I just want to make sure you're talking about the Saipov case, this crazy terrorist guy. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yes, exactly. This is the case of the guy who mowed over the people who didn't get the death penalty. I know he's already threatened uh, law enforcement behind bars. He was gleeful afterwards. And, and they don't think that this guy is a, you know, is a threat. I, I agree with you, Robert. It, to me, uh, that was an outrageous decision by the jury. Robert, thanks so much. Let's go to Chris. Uh, Chris, go ahead. Line eight. Uh, yeah, you were talking about Fauci. Yep. Go ahead. Yep. Yes, ma'am. I don't think there's anything to laugh about at all. Period. Fauci was a fraud from the beginning. He is a complete liar. And he is a mass murderer. He is the biggest mass murderer since Joseph Mengele. I don't think there's anything funny about him. I don't like him. And I'm sorry to say this. I think he's earned his rightful place in hell. Wow. Chris, so I'll Chris, leave it at that. Chris you are hardcore. Uh, I would not equate him to Mengele. Um, I would uh, equate him to somebody who needs to give a little more information, clearly, because there's definitely a lot more to the story. I mean, the way that he has just been an apologist over and over and over for China uh, and not even revealed like some of these tentacles to research that would, again, was these grants um, and never telling the Trump administration when he worked there that he had like any of these ties. I mean, there is something really, really fishy there. I wouldn't go anywhere near as far as Mengele for though for that one, but uh, but that's an interesting analogy for that one already. Um, by the way, uh, speaking of investigations, Hunter Biden, speaking of China too, is under the microscope. 
James Comer coming out not too long ago and saying that he is now getting these activity reports, these suspicious activity reports. When show big money comes from strange places, suddenly they get flagged at the Treasury Department. So now they're getting access to them. And it is supposed to be eye-opening. Take a listen real quick to what Congressman James Comer had to say about that. These are these are people affiliated with uh, the different uh, businesses, so to speak, uh, that the Biden family w- was involved in with respect to this instance, China. And what it appears is there were a lot of transfers from account to account to account, many transfers on the same day. Uh, that's probably one reason they received so many suspicious activity reports, which are the bank violations for the banks. The banks would look at this like well, they must be laundering money or something. I don't necessarily think they were laundering money, Maria. It looks to me like they were trying to hide the source of that money, and the source was the Chinese Communist Party. What was he doing with the Chinese Communist Party? And James Comer also dropped a bombshell saying when they got access, the Treasury has agreed and is giving it to them, these suspicious activity reports. He says there was a new discovery that was made. Take a listen. Well, we discovered that they got a $3 million wire uh, two months after Joe Biden left office. And then the very next day, From that account, that Walker account that appears to be a pass-through account, then they started wiring money to Biden family members, plural. And there were three different Biden family members that received a cut from that $3 million, including a new Biden family member that's never before been included in any of these investigations. So our question is, what exactly did they do to receive that money? What was the purpose of that three million dollar wire that is awfully fishy three million bucks so what kind of trouble do you think is going to be uncovered possibly tied to hunter biden the chinese and a whole bunch more will these suspicious activity reports i've always contended when they get the money trail and they can see where these transfers went to and can see what kind of policy may or may not have been done afterwards Can they also track it to, like, offshore banks? What kind of activity will be unfolding? And is this basically the tip of the iceberg and the dam is now about to break now that they have at least a little bit of clues or big-time clues on the money trail with Hunter Biden? Will it lead to the big guy? 1-800-848-9222. The Rita Cosby Show. And we are talking about how all roads lead to China, talking about Fauci and Hunter Biden and so much more. Uh, let's go to Sean, uh, line three. Sean, your thoughts about where the roads lead, especially with Fauci. Rita, I love you. Thank you. Thank you. Where, what do you think? You get me angry so many times and you uh, just make a quick statement. When you call criminals, oh, they're mental, they're this, they're that. They're criminals. People, when you call people, you, 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 uh, it just makes me psychotic when you give them Sean, Sean, did you hear? I was the one who was saying throw the book at him. I mean, I was the one who was saying that life in prison was too nice for the guy. Did did you miss that part? Yes, I'm going back uh, like a year ago. You always go, oh, they're psychotic. Okay, well, guess what? In the last year, in the last year, I think I've said some other things. So go ahead, Sean. Anyway, back to so. First of all, Fauci. I, I, I wanted to break my TV. He has the nerve to say that oh, there was no evil uh, 
find the COVID virus. There's no way that it was made. How does he know that? He's saying that as a fact that, like, as that he actually that he knows, like, he works in China. Right. He has no idea. Did you, by saying, the way, oh, did you hear? Did you hear? He also said that, uh, oh, maybe the person like was hanging out with a bat and happened to then visit the Wuhan lab, like, like on a tour or something. I mean, around. The guy was purposely sent from Wuhan to Italy. He was sent on purpose. They gave him orders. You're going to get on a plane and you're going to go to Italy. That's where it started. And that guy who they sent to Italy first, he disappeared. He's gone. Okay. So what are you what are you trying to say about Fauci? You saying he's 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 not telling us all he knows. Batman doesn't tell us everything he knows. Fauci cannot tell the real story because he'll be hung. The real story is that they made it. There's no, it wasn't, it didn't happen by accident. They hate America. They're a communist. Wake up, America, the world. They need to wake up. They made this, and I saw him yelling. Let me calm down. No, Sean, 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 I love the passion because I'm telling you, the fact that there have been so many millions of people called, you know, killed around the world. I, they I did mean, it on purpose. To, right, they to not to not be held responsible. Whoever whoever did this and and you know, I obviously roads lead to the Wuhan lab, but I will say we need to get to the bottom of it. Whoever is to blame needs to be held accountable. I I, I hear you to, to just kind of move on. How could you do that when you've had so such a horrible disaster to the world? Because they want to take America out. That's the original plan, but unfortunately, it leaked to the whole world. Okay, and I got to be careful. I don't want them to come after me because they don't play. When you're at war and you want to take out a certain uh, a country, they don't play. And you can go look it up. And also talking about the crime that's going on, the disgusting these Democrat policies, these liberal policies. First of all, liberals don't give a damn about World War Two. Not only, and they're the same ones in the jury who let that piece of garbage out with life in prison. Yeah, that is that is a shocker. That is a shocker. And I agree with you. I mean, listen, we obviously want to go through the justice system, but people do need to be held accountable for their crimes. And uh, and if somebody the, the worst crime, if somebody unleashed the covid virus on purpose, needs to be held responsible. Uh, real quick, let's go to Jay in Florida. Super quick, Jay. I'm sorry to do this to you, but real quick. Hey, Rita, thank you for taking my call. I know i got to be quick. I wholeheartedly agree with your previous caller, as I wholeheartedly agree with you and your show. Love you, but I really want to emphasize the fact that you always talk about World War II veterans. Thank you, Jay. I love our greatest generation. I love all our veterans, and I love our men and women in blue. Thank you, guys. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network.